0: Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. says, The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, Human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you and place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked suddenly, there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, Human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening up your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. The word of God for the people of God. How many of you started some sort of new hobby in 2020? Anyone? How many of you have had a sourdough starter? That was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I had lots of friends that dove into baking, cycling, running, the whole thing. And at our house, we, our, five, our then five-year-old, Lucy, who's now eight, but when, when the pandemic hit, she was barely five. And before, before 2020, she had a great fascination with aquatic creatures, specifically the whale shark. Now, when we were home all the time, that girl just dove in to learning about whale sharks, she would tell us all the facts that they were as big as a school bus with the throat the size of a quarter. Isn't that crazy? I mean, all the things. We checked out library books from the Nampa Library. Once we read all of those, we, went to the, we got Meridian Library books sent over on whale sharks and then Boise. And I think we read all the whale shark books in the whole Treasure Valley. Then she moved on to the YouTube videos for kids about aquatic life. And in the midst of all this, she learned that whale sharks are endangered. So, this lit a fire in that girl to make a difference. So, she started learning about what we can do for the environment and how to help our oceans and wanting to recycle and pick up litter. And so, one day, I walked into her office and there was a flurry of construction paper, markers, scissors, the whole thing. And I said, What are you doing? She said, oh, I'm starting an Earth Savers Club. I'm obviously the president. (laughs) And I am going to invite all of our neighbors to be a part of it. So she did. So you can see on the screen, there's one of her little posters, the Earth with all the people around holding hands. And so she grabbed Mike, and they went around to all of the houses on our loop and dropped off a little invitation with the poster and she invited everybody to be part of the Earth Savers Club. Whether she knew them or not, whether we'd ever talked to them or not, she didn't care, she wanted everybody to be a part of it. And I absolutely loved that she did it because she learned about a problem. She realized that there were reasons to be concerned, but she didn't give in to despair. Instead, she said, I wanna do something about it. I think I can, even though I'm five and I live in Nampa, Idaho, something can be done. And I think we, something can be done together. And you know, I think that that really connects with what God wants to share with us today. Is that yes, there are a lot of things to be concerned about. There are maybe even reasons to feel some sense of heaviness and maybe even despair. But the good news is that there is always hope. There is always hope, and the Spirit of God brings us hope. And I believe today, as we dive into Ezekiel 37, we are going to realize that God's hope is most fully realized in community. And as Lucy taught me, and as she's teaching us today, God's hope is for the whole neighborhood. Amen? But as I talk about hope, that particular word may bring up some, some things in you. You may be hearing the word hope today and feeling like it's this very elusive thing that you just can't grab onto. Maybe there are circumstances in your life that feel really heavy, maybe some health concerns. Maybe some relationships that are very strained or you're concerned about your kids. Maybe, like me, you flip on the news and there is a great deal of con- for concern when we see all of the violence happening around the world. And sometimes even our very, it's, it's, sometimes it's the actions of other people that cause us to feel concerned and hopeless and then sometimes it's our own actions. Our own stories that make us feel hopeless. Maybe even for some of us in the room today, there could be cycles of addiction. And you wonder, is there hope to get out of this? Is there hope for my future? And some of us may be feeling today a sense of hopelessness. But another piece of the story as we think about hope, I think has to do with something we may not always think about or talk about. And I think that this is something we need to address, and that is the issue of hoarding hope. Now you may be like, hoarding hope? All right, Carly, uh, hoarding shoes, hoarding brightly colored clothes, okay, we'll talk about that another day, okay, okay. Uh, But hoarding hope, I mean, I think we can hoard hope. Because hope is this confident expectation in good that will come. And so we want to hang on to that, don't we? When it seems like the world is falling apart, we want to hang on to anything that will help us feel like this, the future is secure and that there's good coming. And so we hang on to it. We hold on because we don't want to let go. Because what if we let go? Maybe there's not enough to go around. It's that scarcity mindset that Pastor Scott has talked with us about. And yet when we hoard hope, it actually underneath that looks like hoarding, onto, hoarding comfort, hoarding security, maybe hoarding power or control. And when we hoard hope, when we hoard hope in the wrong things, it actually brings us right around to a feeling of hopelessness. And I think we see these same problems in Ezekiel 37 and what's going on with the people of Judah at this time. See, the people of Judah are in this season, they are in exile in Babylon. And what's led them there? Hoarding hope in the wrong things. They decided to hang on to and hoard security and power and control. And this ended up looking like, oppressing people on the margins, division, conflict, rebellion, turning their back against God, idol worship, and all of that paved the path for them to be in exile. So they find themselves in Babylon, previous hope orders, and now they're feeling hopeless. And they wonder if their future will ever be restored. And as we read in verse 11, we read, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. But it's into this community that then we we see Ezekiel, this prophet. And Ezekiel, I think he could have been tempted to hoard hope too. (laughs) Because here he is, he's this guy that had been faithful to God. He was supposed to be anointed as a priest, but instead of being anointed as a priest in Jerusalem, he found himself in Babylon. And God gave him these amazing visions of God's presence in Babylon, which was probably super weird because isn't God's presence supposed to be in the temple? But here is God's presence with the people In exile, in the midst of their rebellion and their brokenness in this foreign land, yes, here is God's presence. And as he hears this and sees these visions, it may have been real easy for him to hoard that hope and be like, all right, I'm hanging on to this. I'm not sharing with these yahoos. They got me into this whole mess. Why would I want to help them? But he decided not to hoard hope, but to share it. And as we read in this very interesting section of scripture today, which I think is like the haunted house of scripture, don't you? It's bizarre. It's kind of crazy. But in this section of scripture, God gives Ezekiel this vision of these dry bones, like dry. This means that goodness, the death was a long time ago and there's like no life there. But in the midst of this, God invites Ezekiel to, invite, to share hope with the people of Judah. I think it's really fascinating in verse 4. It says that God said to him, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now I think that God could have probably spoken to the bones on God's own. But it's curious and I think we need to pay attention to the fact that God is inviting Ezekiel to be the mouthpiece, to share the hope. See, it's the breath of God through Ezekiel that brought the bones to life. The breath of God, the ruach of God. And if you've been around College Church for a while, that's one of those vocab words that that Pastor Scott talks to us about. The ruach, the breath, the spirit of God. And we see in this particular section of scripture in Ezekiel 37, in those 14 verses that we read, seven of those verses talk about the ruach of God. Isn't that amazing? So every time we read breath, that's the spirit, that's the ruach of God. And overall in this passage, that word ruach, the Hebrew word for spirit, is listed nine times. So something we need to pay attention to. This ruach, the very spirit of God that was there at the moment of creation. In Genesis 1-2, we read that when the earth was formless and void and there was darkness, the spirit was hovering over the waters. The same spirit, the ruach of God. And so I got curious and I thought, okay, the very first thing that we read about the Ruach of God, the Spirit, is that the Spirit hovered. I was like, what is that about? So I looked at the original language in Hebrew at that word hovered, and it means to move, but also get this, it means to grow softly. Isn't that so cool? That at the point when the earth was formless and void and dark, the spirit was hovering with tenderness, with compassion, with kindness, moving softly, growing softly. And so then it's that same spirit in Ezekiel 37, in the Valley of Dry Bones, these people that have been rebellious, turn their backs on God. What does God do? The spirit of God blows through bringing new life with such tenderness, compassion, and love. At the point where it seemed like hope was gone, it was tender love, the tender breath of God that brought about life. And I think God wants us to know that's possible today. But it's not just possible for us individually, it's possible for us communally. And we see this in the scripture that when the Spirit of God does bring the dry bones to life, it's not just for one person or an isolated event here and there, it's for everybody. This extraordinarily large company, or in some translations, an army has been risen by the Spirit to new life. A new life that brings hope. And see, we we see the the hope of God through spoken words of life in people and places that seem beyond repair. We see God's hope in hand-drawn pictures on people's front doorsteps. And we see God's hope through an army of tenderly loving people breathing life into others on social media. God's hope is communal. God's hope is for the whole neighborhood. In the summer of 2021, I was scrolling through my phone as I do sometimes on Instagram and I followed this guy. I know some of you in the room probably follow him too. His name is Carlos Whitaker and he is a Jesus follower who is an author and a speaker. And this particular day, his, his stories on Instagram, there were so many of them and I thought, what is going on? So I started to watch through and he travels quite a bit for his job. And this particular day he was in the Atlanta airport and he had some video of this older gentleman playing the piano with like such gusto and joy. I mean, he was like bringing this crowd in. It was beautiful. And he had a little tip jar on the edge of his piano. And so when he had a break, Carlos went over and chatted with him and learned the piano player's name was Tony, that he'd been playing there for a very long time. And in that conversation, Carlos also learned that Tony had a chronic kidney disease. And so he would spend his days playing music at the airport, but then he would go and have dialysis for hours at night, and then he would come back to the airport. So Carlos decided to hop on Instagram and share this story and say, hey, to his Instagram followers, let's give this guy the biggest tip of his life. And so he said, "Here's my Venmo account. Everything that I receive before I catch my flight, we're giving to Tony." So in 30 minutes, Carlos's Instagram followers, what he calls the Instafamília, they raised $10,000 in 30 minutes. And right when he was about to go catch his flight, he just said, "Hey, can I get your contact information? Just want you to know." Uh, My friends and I online, we wanna bless you. Um, So check your Venmo. And then he was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you're gonna receive $10,000 in there in a few minutes and it's real. And he was you know, jaw to the floor. He couldn't believe it. And Carlos just said, I just want you to have hope today. I just want you to know you're seen and you're known and you're loved by me and by many others all around the country. And he said, but I'm pretty sure there's gonna be more more that's gonna come in. So keep watching your Venmo. And as the whole thing played out, that tip turned into $61,000. Isn't that cool? And it didn't stop there. This began a whole ripple effect of this continuing to happen with Carlos Whitaker and his Instagram followers. They have now blessed waitresses and waiters at Waffle Houses, employees at Walmart's. Most recently they earned, or they, they raised together $285,000 to help the families um, affected by the Covenant school shooting in, in Nashville. And that money went to help them with being able to receive counseling. And overall, Carlos Whitaker and his Instagram followers with all of the things they've done have raised over $2 million to give away. And some people give $5, dollars a dollar. some people give $1,000. It's just collectively, they're able to share hope through just banding together and tenderly loving others. And Tony, the piano player, he and Carlos got to actually be really good friends. And every time Carlos went through the Atlanta airport, which seemed to be like once or twice a week, they would connect, they talked on the phone, they just, their lives became so intertwined. And actually just a few months ago, Carlos shared that Tony passed away. And in his last week of life, Tony's wife called Carlos and said, will you come? Will you be with him at his bedside? And he did, he drove from Nashville to Atlanta to be there as he passed. Two men who were strangers, but became such dear friends whose lives were intertwined. The spirit hovered. And they were able to hold each other up during the darkest of days. And I think that's what we are invited to consider today as we look at not only the section in Ezekiel 37 of the dry bones, but as we continue in the chapter. Because the scriptures are put together very on purpose, aren't they? And so I think we can't just stop in the first 14 verses, but we have to look at the next section. So, in the next section of Ezekiel 37, we read another strange vision. Surprise, surprise. So, we read that God says, Ezekiel, I want you to bring, grab two sticks. And on one, I want you to write Judah, and on the other, I want you to write Ephraim. And these symbolize the two kingdoms. Of Israel that had been severed. Division, conflict, warfare, they didn't get along. They didn't think that they would ever reconcile. And God said, Ezekiel, I want you to put these two sticks in your hand and I want you to bring them together. And they're going to become one stick. Now, as you can see, this is like impossible. This is like weird. This is not going to happen on our own, right? But I think the message for Ezekiel was that that kind of reconciliation was impossible without the Spirit. But this reminds us, once again, that God's hope is communal. That Judah wasn't supposed to just hoard the hope that they were given. But the vision of restoration was for everyone. That they're, they were not just raised to a new life, but they were raised to be reconcilers, to be intertwined with each other. In verse twenty of Ezekiel thirty-seven, I'm going to read a couple verses here. God says, "When the two sticks that you've written on are in on in your hand in their sight, speak to them." This is what the Lord God says. I will take the Israelites from among the nations where they've gone, and I will gather them all around, and I will bring them to their fertile land. I will make them into a single nation in the land on Israel's highlands. There will be just one king for all of them. They will no longer be two nations, and they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Then jumping down to verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace for them. It will be their covenant forever. I will grant it to them and allow them to increase. I will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The nations will know that I the Lord make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Now this may have been like mind blowing to the people Because they're thinking, wait a second, God's dwelling is with us? Isn't God supposed to be dwelling in the temple? I mean, Ezekiel told us that the presence was here in Babylon. That was weird enough. And now we're hearing that the dwelling place of God is going to be with the people? Yes. The scattered bones were to become a single stick of solidarity, lives intertwined, and it is with the collective, united people of God where God dwells. How many of you have been to the Redwood Forest? Many of you? Okay, and even if you've not been there, I'm sure you've seen pictures. I mean, these trees go 300 feet in the air, I mean, they're huge. I remember going there, I think it was in elementary school or something, mom and dad, there's a tree that had the bottom cut out so a car could drive through. I mean, these trees are massive. And yet get this, their roots only go down 10 to 13 feet deep. It's crazy, right? Okay, but here's the secret sauce of their strength. Their roots go out wide, 60 to 80 feet, and they become intertwined with the roots of other trees. And that's why they are able to stand strong. I was actually reading about um, the fact that some redwoods grow in circles. And one of these clusters I was reading about this week, scientists say like 800 to a thousand years ago, one large tree fell down, but it didn't die and then the, like, the little sprouts and burrs kind of spread, and nine different, what looked like individual trees started to grow, but they were all one. They were all part of that same tree. And now today you can go and stand in the middle of this circle that is formed around where the original stump was. And do you know what this kind of formation is called? It's called a cathedral. Isn't that good? And I feel like this is the picture of the church. The picture for us to, I'm not saying have shallow roots. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But what I am saying is the picture of the church is for us to be intertwined in a tender way. For us to grow softly together for us to be intertwined and for us to think about the fact that our well-being is connected, that your well-being is connected to mine, and that your hope is connected to mine. And I think that's holy. And I think that's hopeful as well. Today, as we've talked about, is Pentecost Sunday the day that we remember the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, the wind that came through and brought the people of God to new life in the Spirit. But before that came, these people, they may have been struggling with issues of hope. You know, Jesus had been crucified, he resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven, and they were told to wait. And like Pastor Brent talked to us last week, they were told to wait courageously, but that might've been hard for some of them. Probably would've been hard for me. And some of them were probably thinking, where's our hope? I've given up everything to follow this guy, now he's gone, what am I supposed to do? What does the future look like? And then maybe there were others that maybe weren't struggling with hopelessness, but maybe some hope hoarding happening. Where they were like, okay, we were the ones who heard all of this good news. We're going to hang on to it. We're the elite. I mean, that could have been an issue as well. But when they were gathered praying, faithfully waiting, the Ruach of God blew through The wind blew through, the spirit fell, and one of the very first things that happened in those moments was that they were given the ability to speak in all sorts of different languages and share the hope of Jesus with many who had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And scholars believe that there were probably like 250,000 people that had gathered and many of them were from outside of the area Many of, actually, the the exiles that we've been talking about today, many of them didn't return to Jerusalem. And so these people that had been raised to life in the Spirit were then also raised to be reconcilers, raised to have their lives intertwined. And I believe that when the Spirit of God fills us, the wind of the Spirit moves us then to share hope with others and be instruments of restoration and reconciliation and weave our lives together. It was five or so months after Lucy had delivered all of her letters around the the neighborhood and there was a little knock on our door. It was a cold December day and I thought it was Amazon because I mean, 2020, I think I bought pretty much everything except toilet paper on Amazon. And so I didn't even get the door right away, but an hour or so later, I went and looked outside and there was a little letter addressed to the president of the Earth Savers Club. And there was a little gift package as well. So I called Lucy over and I said, oh my goodness, come here, come here, you have to see this. So she opened it up and there was a letter from one of our precious neighbors down the street. They said, hey, Luce, I got your letter, I didn't forget. And I want you to know I'm in, girl. I want to be a part of the Earth Savers Club. And when the weather gets better, let's meet up and let's go pick up some litter together. But I am in. And then she opened the package. And there was a t-shirt with all of the sharks of the world, including the whale shark. And I'll tell you what, oh, that impacted us so deeply. In a time where things were weird in the world and hard and difficult, and it was easy to feel like we were isolated, that knock on the door was a gift. And the hope that Lucy had breathed out into our little neighborhood was breathed right back into her. And I'll tell you what, our neighborhood became a cathedral, a holy hope-filled place. And so today as we close, I don't know where you are with hope, what your relationship is like with hope. For some of you today, hope may feel like this elusive thing that's really hard to find right now. And if that's where you are, as one of your pastors, I want you to know that we care about that. And we don't want you to feel alone. We want you to know that you belong here in our church and you belong to God and that you are not alone. But some of you today may be on the other end of the spectrum that maybe you're realizing that you're a Hope Porter and you didn't realize it. That maybe you're clinging so tightly to control, to comfort, to security, just wanting to have your future be okay and you're not not sure if you can let go of the things that you feel like you can control. And today, maybe the Ruach of God is inviting your clenched fists to grow soft and open so that you can share hope with others in your neighborhood. And so today, as Pastor Danny mentioned earlier, we are opening our altars now. And so if if the Spirit is stirring in you, if you need a fresh wind from the Spirit today, if you are needing to be reminded that there is hope for you today, if you are feeling compelled to share hope in new ways, and you want to ask the Spirit to help you do the impossible, these altars are open. And also we want you to know that you're not alone, that our lives are intertwined with you. And so as you come, there will be some pastors over here that will pray for you and anoint you. And we want to be reminded that God's hope is communal and that we can extend hope to one another today. So I'm gonna pray for us. Ryan's going to lead us in a song first and then I'll pray for us. But as he sings, if you are feeling like God is doing something in you today and you want to respond, the altars are open. So let's sing and then we'll pray together. God, we are so thankful today that you bring us hope and that you dwell with us, that we are not alone, that we are empowered by your spirit to experience new, full, abundant life, but not just for us, for the sake of the world. But we thank you, God, that you are inviting us to participate in restoration and reconciliation, not with an iron fist, but with tender love. That you're helping us grow. You're helping us grow softly with tenderness and kindness and compassion. And so then as we think about situations in our life that seem dark and maybe even impossible, Would you move through us in ways that bring us hope, in ways that remind us we are loved so that we can be extensions of your love. But God, I pray right now for anyone in this place, anyone in this room or listening online that is feeling a deep sense of despair, that hope is elusive, will you meet them? Will you speak to them? Will you breathe on them? And would you renew their hope for the future? And God, we as a church, we want to have our lives intertwined with each other and with our community. And so help us, God, help us have vision to be able to see others the way that you see them. And we pray that your holy hope would invade our homes the coffee shops, the schools, our church, your, our, the neighborhoods. We pray for your hope, God, to invade us, form us, shape us. So we thank you. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with us today as we respond?
1: to breathe out of the silence
0: from John 20, and I want to send us with this today. So receive this benediction, these words of Jesus. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters of Nampa College Church, receive the Holy Spirit, receive hope and go share it with your whole neighborhood. Go in peace.